or use your cell phone, a smartphone. Make sure you turn the sound off, though, if you don't mind. Hey, we got uh, we had a great Easter this year. Thanks for everybody who had a part in making sure that came together and worked out. Um, it's good to see you this morning. You know, this is Easter's done. If you want to say it that way, um, really it's not, but Easter's through. We've gotten through that. So now what? The question in church and worship in our own lives, uh, once we've gotten through Easter service, once we've gotten through that holiday, what about our relationship with God now? What's, what's, what's important now? Well, I think what's important now is for us, you and I, to grow in our love for God. Amen? I think that's the, probably what we need to focus on the most right now as we're waiting on, uh, on God to return, on Jesus to come back. As we live our lives, we, this is about loving God. So let's, let's talk about that this morning. What does loving God really mean for you and I, the average Christian? First John chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1. Everyone who believes in Jesus is Christ, is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Shall we pray? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, this morning we come before you. We are so very grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, in our life. And Father, I would just ask today that if there's someone here who has been seeking you, someone here who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, that, God, you would speak to them today through this message, through this time. That they would know what it really means to be a child of God. That they would know what it really means to, to follow you, to love you, and to be loved in return. That they, Father, would grow in their walk with you. That we would all grow in our walk with you, Father. That our love for you would, would grow exponentially, Father. And that by doing that, we would just come to know you more and more. And come to know how great you truly are. Father, thank you for your Son and for your Spirit. Thank you for the promise of heaven, the promise of redemption, the promise of you being with us today, right now, but also tomorrow and the day after that and the day after. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this. We worship you for being such a good Father to us. We pray for this all in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. Think about that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. When we stop and think about that with our rational mind, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, really, when we, we get up tomorrow, we go to work or school or we go about our day, uh, are we thinking about loving God with all that we are? Are we thinking about loving God in the moment of... Uh, waiting in line at McDonald's for our cup of coffee or whatever it is that's slowing us down from getting to where we want to go and doing what we want to do. Are we loving God at that moment? It sounds impossible at times. I, I, I admit that. It at least sounds really hard, doesn't it? And by the way, isn't having faith in Jesus enough, right? Don't we kind of think that sometimes? I believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it seems like a lot of times. Until, until we begin to think how that kind of love comes about, how it happens in us, in our own lives. Now, I, I will say this. I do believe it will be easier to love God with all that we are when we go to the next life. When we go to be with God in heaven, it's going to be a whole lot easier for us to just relax and love God because that's all we're going to be dealing with is God in heaven. 
Amen? Yeah, we're going to be living the eternal life uh, in heaven. I don't know what all that's going to be, but it's going to be lots of things. But it's mainly going to be about God. So that's going to be really easy there because we'll see God. And we'll really get to know Jesus, really get to know Jesus because we'll be there with him. And that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. It says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Can you imagine seeing God, Almighty God, the creator of all things, of every little minuscule atom or whatever molecule, to the greatest thing, the mountains of Colorado, the oceans and the seas, we're going to see him face to face. Paul says, I know, I know in part, and that's true. We only know God in part somewhat here as best we can, as best we can seek him as, as we should. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Wow. Then it'll be really super easy. The trick right now, though, is we're told to love God now. Not to next, not next life, not in eternity. Don't start there. You have to start right now, today. This is the time. This is the life that God has given us to love him in, in preparation for eternal life. So what does that mean? If you have your outline out, right, it's on the back of your bulletin. Point number one, loving God means you're born again. You cannot truly love God with all that you are unless you are born again. You can say you love God, uh, but you cannot truly know what that really fully means unless you are born again. Look with me again in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The idea, the, the, the emphasis there is who believes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. John is telling us here very clearly that genuine faith will lead to genuine love. It's a transformation because we don't know how to love genuinely a divine being that we can't see. That if we believe Jesus is the Christ, is the Savior, if we believe he is our Savior, if he's my Savior, if we're born again, then we will begin to love God the way we should with all our heart, soul, and mind. But we've got to start at the beginning. We've got to deal with our problem, which is sin, and we've got to begin to love God. We've got to trust in Jesus Christ, and we've got to be born again. That's where it all starts. The whole relationship is boiled down to that moment of being born again. Now, this is not an idealized kind of love, the love of a self-sacrificing hero who rides off into the sunset to die for a cause or some sort of belief system. And this is not a romanticized kind of love of a person willing to give up everything and anything for the love of another being. It's not that kind of love at all. This is a hard love. This is a difficult love. I'll admit this. This is a difficult love. This is the kind of love that is much more committed form of love than riding off to die on some battlefield or, or to, to give yourself for a cause. It's a deeper love. That's what you and I are called to. We're called to a deeper love, a personal love for a personal God and a personal Savior. It's the kind of love that surrenders oneself completely in every way. This kind of love comes only one way. And Jesus said, for this kind of love to happen for you and me, we have to be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. See? See what's important? If you're going to love God and know God and have a relationship with God, you have to be born again. That's the beginning of it all. To be born again the way Jesus describes means to become someone who's very different. 
from their old self, where there has to be a transformation. And then this leads to the kind of love that God uh, can make away, can God make possible, that only God can make possible. And, and that possibility brings about a whole new life. Now, here's the thing, though. We live in this world, don't we? So the born-again per- person will still go about their life in many of the same ways they did before. They'll still go to school or they'll go to work. They'll still have many of the same friends. They'll still have the same family. But they'll be different. They'll be a totally different person in their heart. And the difference in their heart will also make a difference in their life. Sin will not always, will not all, I'm sorry, sin will not be as enjoyable as it was before. Why? Because we're changing. God is working on us and changing us. Attitudes and habits will change, some quickly, some very slowly. Our thinking will become less about self and more about God's truths and principles in life. The old life will slowly fade away and be replaced with a new one. Remember, we're talking about a way of life, too. The relationship is a way of life when it comes to God. Christianity is not just some organization you belong to. It's a way of life. It's a belief system. It's a way of thinking and, and acting and living out. Think about the, uh, it's a child, a baby. A baby is conceived in the mother's womb, and it takes about nine months or so for it to develop in order to be able to be birthed, right? Then what does it take? It takes years to become an adult. Sometimes it never grows up, right? Some guys never grow up, do we? Never grow up. But it takes years to become an adult, so being born again also takes time. It doesn't just happen in a flash. Not even the great apostle Paul was changed in a flash, in the sense of his whole life was totally radically different. He had to change over time. It's a process. It takes a lifetime, and for some of us guys, right, it takes a whole lifetime. Isn't that true? Yeah. That's why over and over the gospel shows us again and again, Jesus telling people, calling people to himself, like Peter and John and Andrew, or that rich young ruler who happened to walk away, he would say to them, come, follow me. That's, that's a relationship. That's a journey. That's not taking one step. It's taking multiple steps over time. And Jesus is still doing this today. He's still calling people. and He's saying to us, come, follow me. Right now, I believe he's saying to this church, come, follow me, all of you who are here today. Come, follow me. He's calling us to be born again, to follow him, to love God and be loved by God in return with all that we are. Not just part of this, not just our Sunday segment, but all of our being. Only Jesus can lead a person or cause a person to be born again. And when that happens, we can love God with all that we are. It's part of the whole relationship. Number two, loving God means you do what God wants you to do. Look at verse two. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. That's right. I'm, I hope Jerry's not the only one asleep this morning. I'm mean, awake this morning. Sorry about that, Jerry. You are awake. I apologize. <laughs> loving God means you do what God wants you to do. This is part of the relationship. Anybody... Anybody ever have to grow up in here? Anybody Has anybody ever been 12 years old? Anybody? Anybody been 12 years old? Did you have to do chores? Or were you one of those rich, snotty kids that your parents said you don't have to do anything? Yeah, we all had to do chores, right? Right? Amen? Connor, you better say amen. 
have to do chores growing up. And so that means we have to take orders. That means we have to take and do what mom and dad said to do. Clean those dishes, mow the yard, sweep the basement. Whatever it is, do it. Right? Verse 1, John talks about loving God. Now in verse 2, he talks about loving God's children as a sign of our love for God. So we're to love others. The children of God is a reference to other Christians. We love each other, right? We should as Christians. But it also refers to unbelievers because God is their creator too. So unbelievers are the children of God in a certain way. Not at the mature level of a Christian or a follower of Christ, but they are the children of God in the sense that God created them. He created them to know him too, like you and I get to. Now, I don't want to bend too far into legalism because being born again and loving God is not about a strict adherence to rules, or as the Old Testament says, laws. But John did use the word command, didn't he? You see that in verse 2? This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his, say that, commands. We need to get, to understand, we need to get this into our mind and, and, and our hearts and understand this. There are things that God wants us to do, that he's talking to each and every one of us about doing. We all have a role in the kingdom, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Laws and commands have one essential difference. Laws are universal. They're meant for everybody in the society, the culture, the nation. Laws are meant to apply to everybody, whereas commands are often personalized. For the individual. What God commands you to do probably is going to be different than what he commands me to do. And yet, they're also universal in the sense that we're all called to do some things in common. Uh, come to worship. To, to support the church. And not only just with your money, but with your time and treasure and your talent as well. And since each person's relationship with God is personal, what God commands you to do as a follower of Jesus many times is also personal. We're not all called to do the same things in life. We're not all called to be pastors or deacons or missionaries or Sunday school teachers or something like that. We're all called to different things. And John says in verse 3, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. <clears throat> Anybody ever felt that God was calling you something that was a really heavy heavy load? Yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can agree with that. He does call us to sometimes carry more than we think we can. And Jesus one time got on to the, to the Pharisees because they thought loving God was about adhering to strict rules, being very, very uh, narrow in this legalistic attitude. I've got to do this and this. And they didn't deal with the relationship with God, the personal relationship with God. So he rebuked them. They didn't believe in being born again. So he began to teach them. They believed in legalistic living which, by the way, is burdensome, isn't it? Don't do this, do that. Wear this, don't wear that. Don't put this on you. Uh, just read this type of uh, Bible or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of rules and, and laws. And they're burdensome, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. And so Jesus, he scolded them right in front of, the, of everybody. In Luke 11, verse 46, he said, And you experts in the law, God's law, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. He says, woe to you who load people down with rules upon rules upon rules and never help anybody. 
We need to understand that God is not looking for perfect people. Because I sure don't fit that mold by a long shot. And there are no perfect people. And if you find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. Right? Yeah. But he is looking for people to perfect. He's looking for people he can work with. He's looking for people who will love him for who he is and what he's done in their lives. And that means to love God, we must surrender our lives to him. We must do what he wants us to do as his own people. So what does God want his people to do? I can't stand here and tell each and every one of you what God wants you to do. That's not my business. That's not my job. You need to seek that answer from God. So maybe you need to start praying more. Huh? Amen to that? Can I hear, can I hear that amen? Yeah, maybe you need to start praying more, seeking God's will for your life. Maybe you need to pray more than you have been or have for quite a long time. Discovering what God wants us to do is a big part of our relationship with him because we're called to do something for God. And the Bible can tell us a lot about him. So studying the Bible is very, very important. But so is prayer. I think we neglect the prayer sometimes. Actually, I believe we do. I'm trying to develop more of a of a daily prayer life that, that I interrupt my life to go alone by myself and pray with God and just talk to him, even for a few moments. If something bad happens, you know what I do? I go to the restroom and I pray and I ask God to help me deal with whatever that is. Or I'll go to the basement of the church building maybe and I'll think, go down there and I'll thank God for whatever just happened that was great, the good news I heard or, or, or whatever it is that I can celebrate. I go by myself. I'll go out and get my pickup. And I'll just pray and thank God and ask God to guide and direct me. If I'm going to go visit somebody, talk to them in a hospital or at home, I'll ask God, give me wisdom and discernment of what to say. How can I build them up and encourage them? So I'm trying to do that more and more and more. So, so that not my prayer life just isn't 30 minutes or 45 minutes in the morning. I'm scattering it out through the day as well. I'm still doing the 30 to 45 minutes in the morning, but I still scatter prayer time throughout my day. To spend time with God, just uh, just a little bit of time, every chance I can. God often reveals his will for our lives, for each one of us through our prayer life. It's the way he's worked in my life. From the very beginning, when I became a believer in 1990, since then, prayer has been important to me about discovering what it is that God wants me to do. And as I continue to grow older, which I unfortunately am, I pray even more, and I'm continuing to do that. And I continually see God unfolding his plan for me, bit by bit by bit, not all at once. One thing I do pray, I ask God to give me two steps of light to see by instead of just one. Try something like that. Ask him for things like that. And to be honest, at times, i got to tell you, i got to admit, I feel that God's commands are burdensome. They are heavy. They are wearisome. But only when I try to do those things in my own strength and not in partnership with him. See, that's what he wants. He doesn't want me just to go off and do something like sweep the basement. He wants to go off with me and do that. And I try to go off and do that by myself. So I'm reminded of those times. Something pops into my head and my heart. Something that Jesus said in Matthew 11, 29, verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. I want, I want that yoke that Jesus is carrying. I want to get under there with him instead of trying to do it by myself. Number three, loving God means not doing what the world encourages us to do. Loving God means not doing what the world encourages us 
to do. Look at verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. If you stop to think about how, what verse 4 says, it's an incredible verse. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I like the fact that he put even our faith. That somehow through our faith, we can really overcome this world that we live in. Anybody agree with me? This world can be a very difficult place to live in. Amen. Yeah. John is telling us here that our profession of faith in Jesus Christ is far more important to our relationship with God than we might understand. There's much more to the profession of faith than we realize. Much more than walking down the aisle saying a prayer and getting wet. It's much deeper than that. By our profession of faith, we are saying no to the world and yes to God. Doesn't that sound good? I want to say more yes to God than I have to the world. Thinking about what verse 4 says about even our faith overcoming the world, I've come to believe that we're, when we're confronted by temptation of this world, that it offers up tomorrow morning when we get it, or this afternoon when we're going to the store, we tend to give up too soon, don't we? We hold on for a little bit, but we don't hold on quite long enough. We convinced ourselves that we're powerless against this world. But what if we hold on just a little bit longer to our faith? And if we lean on God a little bit more instead of ourselves, John says we can resist doing what the world encourages us to do. That when we're unsure sure about how to deal with a temptation or how to handle some difficult situation or unsure about a, a decision that we're facing that we're going to have to make no matter what, maybe she would just simply put it in God's hands instead of trying to deal with it all on our own by ourselves, seeking his wisdom. See, when we trust God, what we're saying to God is, I love you. I love you so much. I'm trusting you for what to do about this, whatever this is. I like something that Timothy Berger said. He's a professor at one of the Southern Baptist seminaries. He said, when your heart truly belongs to God, you can be in any location and in any, in, I'm sorry, and in any situation and still do the right thing. The right thing is always looking to God. The right thing is always calling out to God, guidance, give me guidance, give me wisdom. Show me what to do. Shine more light to, so I can take two steps in faith. John repeats this main idea from verses 1 to 4, and he speaks about it in verse 5. Again, he said, who is it that overcomes the world? We're talking about overcoming the world through our love for God, our relationship. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to overcome the world? You want real victory in your life? You really want to be somebody in this world? Believe in Jesus Christ first. Be born again. Yeah. Loving God means not doing what the world encourages us to do. And it's not being legalistic, and it's not being burdensome. It's just loving God more than the world. That's what it has to boil down to. So that nothing affects your relationship with God except for God himself. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to see that your walk with God is so close that the only thing that can affect that is God himself, which is always going to be good because he always has good in mind for you. Yeah. Think about what a lot of people in our culture today build their lives on. For most people, it's about getting more money. It's about gaining power or position somewhere, a job, a certain job that, that gives them a sense of worth. 
All this comes about because we've inherited a desire to covet, to gather, and to grip. We want to do this. We have this intense desire to covet stuff. We see things, flashy things that catch our eye, usually at the checkout, at the checkout counter, right? Those impulse buys that we throw in the glove box or we throw in the desk and we never see again. We gather and we gather thinking we've got to have more and more of this world. And then we grip. We grip onto whatever it is we've gathered and we never let go. And yet we seldom do much with it. And the American culture just repeats this all the time. It constantly is encouraging this. Now, I'm not down on America because I believe in capitalism. Despite what some of the politicians are talking about today, I believe in capitalism. I believe capitalism is the best system of any culture of the world that's ever existed. I think it's the best way for people to live. It allows for more personal freedom. You get to make your own choices in life. I like that. I don't know about you, but I like to make my own choices in life about a lot of things. But if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, capitalism does bring, lead to greed and avarice and selfishness. And that's why our relationship with God is so important, because he deals with all that. He shows us, at least he has me, some of this stuff is worthless. Why do you have this? Why do you want this? And you take a step back and you say, wow, I don't really think I need that. It doesn't really do anything. It isn't worth the cost. Talk about desiring the things of this world instead of desiring God above everything else. Listen to what Jesus said. He said this in Matthew 16, verse 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet he forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth? What are you worth to God? Do you know? What are you worth? What is that lost neighbor you live next door to? What is he or she worth? Or that person in class or you work with that's not easy to get along with or kind of quiet and standoffish. They don't know God. They don't know Christ. What are they worth? They're worth the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. On the cross. They're worth the resurrection. They're worth all of that and more. One other problem, and I'm going to be done right now. One other problem that people tend to have when it comes to a relationship with God is they tend to fear God more than they love God. But fear is not what God wants. What God wants is your love. What God wants, more than the money you put in the offering plate if you did, is you. He wants you. He wants you personally. 1 John 4.18, go over and look at it. 1 John 4.18, or just look up above. It says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So God doesn't want our fear. He wants our love. He wants us. And that's what we're going to sing about here in just a minute. We're going to sing, I surrender all. And this is an opportunity for you to respond to God. If he's been speaking to you about your walk with him, maybe today you need to surrender yourself to God. If you'll surrender yourself to God, there's no reason for you to fear him. But if you don't surrender yourself to God, that's all you're going to ever know about him is fear. Because he is a mighty God. And he'll let you go your own way by yourself. And he'll let you learn that hard lesson. I surrender all. If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to do that today. I'd love to help you do that so you can come down and see me or pray with me. 
Maybe you just want to come up and pray by yourself. You can do that as well. Maybe you need to come and, and uh, rededicate your life and ask God to help you get going again and, and develop this relationship deeper and within a deeper walk with him. Let's stand and pray as we get ready to sing. Father, first of all, we thank you for first loving us.